This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to our September 10th edition of Invest Talk. Thank you for joining us. And I hope, oh, there we go. I have a little distraction here. Uh, I, I hope you're ready for a show that is full of some insights that hopefully you can use uh, and some knowledge that you can use to make better decisions. Uh, and uh, if you're like me, you're pre- probably pretty amazed how fast we are moving into the fall season. And many market watchers uh, are predicting a rougher second half than we saw in the first uh, first half of the year and even throughout the summer. Usually summers are pretty poor for the markets or, or say kind of sideways. Uh, we had a, a pretty good August uh, so far in September. Hasn't been quite as bullish, but you know the bull run may continue for a little while longer. But we're going to do our best to help you understand the market forces that are going on right now here on Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and of course, your financial investment questions will drive today's agenda. It is Monday, so some of you may have had a question or two come to mind over the weekend, and our phone lines are open for you at 888-99-CHART. That's 888-992-4278. Before I get into the various topics I will touch on in today's program, I do want to put out a quick reminder here, a message for all of our listeners in Northern California, Steve and I. We're very happy with the turnout for Steve's one-on-one portfolio review appointments up in San Jose earlier, uh, was it earlier this month or late last month? And the response was so strong, in fact, that we have another day that Steve's going to be up in the Bay Area, San Jose, October 3rd. I believe he has one spot left. It is filling up fast. So mark that date, October 3rd. Now, there's no cost to meet with Steve, but you must register in advance through investtalk.com. Now, what are we planning to talk about today? What is on our mind? But most importantly, what is on your mind? Now, I'm going to reveal the most asked questions by anyone moving into their first home or downsizing for retirement. So hang on for that question and the important answer as well. Before we jump into the story, that story today, I want to honor Invest Talk tradition and take a question from a caller. Because your questions are a number one. So here's a question that came in earlier on our anytime listener line at 888 chart. Hey, I've got a question for you on uh, bonds. Uh, I've heard different stories about bonds and uh, bond mutual funds. Is there an advantage or a disadvantage to uh, either one? I sure appreciate you guys, and I appreciate you answering my question. Bye-bye. Yes, there's, and this goes for any investment. There's pros and cons. There's advantages and disadvantages of everything you possibly could buy out there in the marketplace at all. Whatever you do with your money, whether it's cash, whether it's stocks, whether it's a new, whatever it is, there's always going to be pros and cons. So, great question. Well, the difference between buying individual bonds and a fund, I'll give you the pros of a fund. Well, the pros are diversification. You're typically buying the bonds of 
dozens and dozens and dozens of different issuers. So you have diversification there. What is the downside? Well, typically for bond funds, it has to do with you're probably sacrificing some yield of some kind, right? Because you're diversifying into you know lower yielding names as well as higher yielding names. But typically you're getting kind of what the market averages, maybe slightly higher. Uh, but if you are in a group of bonds, you can target more opportunistically, right, and get better yields typically. You can also be hit with what is called interest rate risk, meaning your money is always invested, and any money that's coming in is going to be reinvested and reinvested and reinvested. So if interest rates continue to rise, you're going to be basically throwing good money after bad, right? Where interest rates are rising, the value of the bonds are going down, you're buying more bonds, you're consistently exposing yourself to interest rate risk, and if interest rates rise enough, you're going to be in a position where you are per have permanent loss on that particular bond fund, okay? Now, if you hold individual bonds and interest rates go up, well, you just hold those bonds to maturity and you're going to get pock par. So the short-term fluctuations aren't going to matter as much. And like I said, you'll be able to find uh, probably better targeted opportunities. So there's pros and cons to, to both sides. Uh, we like individual bonds for our clients, especially in this type of environment. Uh, but for less sophisticated investors, there's nothing wrong with a bond fund if you understand the level of interest rate risk that you're taking and try to limit that number with short duration bond funds. Now, it is the easiest question most asked by anyone moving into their first home or downsizing into retirement. Should I buy or should I rent? Now, we found the story on, in, on CNBC.com. Now, for nearly a decade, the answer has been buy. Cascading crash in home prices combined with record low mortgage rates have made buying and owning a home cheaper than renting a home. And owning has also been a better investment. Now certainly, you're talking about different markets. Some markets, uh, it still uh, has been cheaper to rent than buy. Uh, it just depends on where you're at. But in general, you've had an environment where borrowing costs are low, Prices of homes are rising faster than rents. And so you're able to, and the cost to, to, to buy just has been lower in general than to rent. But the tide is kind of turned. Because of home prices rising, mortgage rates rising as well. And that has shifted that calculation of renting versus buying. The monthly cost of buying and owning a home that you occupy is up 14% over the past year more than three times the annual increase in rent rates nationally. So rents are up 4% over the last year, but the cost to purchase has gone up 14%. So the number of local housing markets where it's cheaper to rent than buy is growing pretty fast. And we all remember the prices falling during the last uh, crisis. Tons of homes were sold off in foreclosures and home values really 
really sank. And they bottomed out in 2012. And they started going up for a few years. But pretty much over the last three years, they've accelerated dramatically. Now to the point where prices are above where we were in 2006. Now in July, home and rent prices, uh, buying a home was cheaper than renting in only 35% of the nation's counties. 35%. That's down sharply from 44% just a year ago. So you're about two-thirds of markets it's cheaper to rent than it is to buy. That's what we would call rental parity. So about two-thirds of markets are now above rental parity. So there's a better than average chance that your county is going to be a better place to be renting than to buy. And that's kind of what we look at. You, If you want to buy a home, you want to look at a place that is, or a home that is near rental parity, or at least near where it averages historically compared to rental parity. So for example, on the coast, you're almost never going to get rental parity, right? Because there's a premium to beach cities, right? Same with cities that might have very good school district. That's going to have a premium as well. So you have to understand just kind of what market you're looking in and look what the historic rental parity trading tends to be. Is it trade near rental parity, above, below, and make sure you're not overpaying for the market based on historic metrics. Now, there are many factors that work here, so if you find yourself wondering how to best manage your financial future, I can certainly help. I am a licensed real estate consultant and would be glad to give you the benefit of my perspective. You can send me a message through investtalk.com. But now, before we go back to your calls, here's a bit more about what I plan for this hour. We are going to talk a little bit about the battle royale that is playing out in the U.S. stock market and how some people are finding better opportunities abroad. That'll be uh, interesting. We're also going to talk about safeguarding your wealth from maybe a decline in your mental health or mental uh, acuity, let's say that. We're going to talk about that. And then the most over and undersold benefits of ETFs. Once again, going back, there's pros and cons to everything. And many times the pros are overstated and many times the cons are also overstated. And that can be based on uh, the particular asset class or investment you're looking at. Or it could just mean for your situation, right? For example, uh, taxes, tax efficiency. ETFs are known to be tax efficient. But in an IRA, tax deferred account, that is a pro that doesn't fit you if you're only investing in a tax deferred account. Whereas it may be very important to somebody who's in a taxable account. Just one example. So those are things we're going to talk about here on today's show. But ultimately, it's up to you. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. I invite you to subscribe to our Invest Talk podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Then please rate and review. Your comments allow us to improve our Invest Talk programming. Our Monday show is off to a great start, and we are still taking your questions. Give us a call at 888 chart.
Thanks for listening to Invest Talk. We are now into the second week of September. And if you can find a few free minutes to invest in the task of improving your portfolio's performance, head over to investtalk.com. You can read all about the many strategic investing programs offered to clients of KPP Financial. And while you're there, be sure to take the Riskalyze Risk Questionnaire. It's a Monday. Justin's here. The phone lines are open. And he's taking your questions. 888-99-CHART. Hi, Steve and Justin. I just had a question regarding Franklin Financial Network, FSB. Just a small cap banking stock. I was just curious what you thought of the fundamentals and then what you thought would be a, a fair price for the stock. Um, it's trading about 38 right now. I was just curious what, what you guys thought about its potential and where, where you think it should be trading around. Thank you. All right. He's looking at FSB, and this is Franklin Financial Network, the holding company for Franklin Synergy Bank operating via 13 branches in the Williams, Williamson, Rutherford counties in Tennessee. So it's a very, very regional bank, just in Tennessee, basically. $577 million market cap. No dividend. Revenues are up 25% year over year. Earnings are up 11% year over year. Earnings are projected this year to be up 14%, another 13% next year. They have a decent amount of debt, but it's a bank. Bank you kind of have to you have to look at a little differently. That is actually good for a bank to a degree, right? Because they need to borrow money and uh, to lend out. Return equity 12%, which is it's okay. So in general, I just don't really like financials, but this is very, very selective, very regional. I would really need to understand the dynamics and the of, of economics of Tennessee and especially those counties that they're operating in. Uh, it, it's definitely a relative strength is 79, which means it's been over the past uh, year or so, it's operating better or performing better than the 79% of stocks that are out there. So I like that relative strength, but I just don't like banks in general, and I don't know enough about Tennessee to really give you a great uh, advice. So I'm going to pass on it just because I just don't like the sector right now. I'm Justin Klein. I want to hear from you. Give me a call. We appreciate your input at 888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk. Please make sure you subscribe to the Invest Talk podcast at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Then listen, rate, and review. Oh, and here's a save the date reminder. On October 3rd, Steve Peasley will be returning to San Jose to conduct personalized, no cost portfolio reviews. You can register now at investtalk.com. Okay. You've got finance and investment questions, and Justin is here. He'll have unbiased answers. So call now, 888-99-CHART. All right, let's go to our main talking point today, and that is about really the, the market and the fact that there's kind of a battle royale going on right now. And we had a, a very good August, uh, one of the best Augusts we've had in years. And that's on the back of a few things. One, earnings remain strong, uh, as well as the economy. 
the GDP growth in the second quarter came in above 4%, and that was uh, some of the best growth we've seen in years uh, on the back of really fiscal stimulus, right? You had a tax cut. That's certainly uh, been a boon for consumers that are feeling more confident, and even companies are feeling more confident to uh, invest in their business. However, we're going to the back half of the year, and the data isn't looking quite as robust. It's not like we're going into recession or anything, but uh, certainly the third quarter GDP is likely to come in closer to the 2% level than the 4% level. So we have slowing growth, and I think that's uh, really the biggest issue uh, I see in the market. Uh, companies are healthier. Tax rates are certainly a boon, like I said, and that's not really going away. Really, no matter what happens uh, to Trump, right? Uh, you can love him, you can hate him, uh, whether he's going to stay in office or not. Those tax, the tax reform, is beneficial to companies. The big question now, however, though, is how do you keep the momentum of the economy going? What do those numbers? that uh, were based on tax reform, what are those going to look like on a year-over-year basis, the comparables, right? So we start getting into, now we're closing out the third quarter, only a you know, few weeks left of the third, qu- third quarter, then we can start getting into the fourth quarter, and you had a good fourth quarter last year because of, uh, once again, confidence about tax reform. Now, analysts surveyed, by FactSet anticipate 22% earnings growth for the full year in 2018, right? A lot of that has to do with the tax cuts, like I said. But next year, the pace will likely be cut in half, expected only to be 11%. And as we know, typically analysts are more bullish the farther out you go. So as we get closer to 2019, that 11% will likely decline. Now, Will still be positive, probably. But when you start going from 22% earnings growth to, say, 7 8% earnings growth, markets tend to adjust. Now, where are the better opportunities? Well, you could say abroad, right? Abroad has been much weaker, much, much weaker. A lot of that has to do with the strong dollar. A lot of it has to do with just weaker economies in general, right? They haven't really had that tailwind of tax reform, lower regulation that's certainly come out of Washington over the past couple of years. And you have different demographic issues in Europe, especially, and Japan. And then you have the problems that are going on in China as well right now. So all these things add up to a market where U.S. is kind of the cleanest dirty shirt and we've had some near-term tailwinds. But if you look at the overall equity markets as a, as, as a, as a globe, we've had a kind of flat to down year. And so the better values are overseas, but that doesn't mean that's exactly where you get in today. And it really has to do with the U.S. dollar. If the dollar remains strong, which it's kind of at a point. I think it's either going to consolidate from here and break out again to the upside. Or we're going to give back 
most or all the gains that we've seen over the past year or so. And a lot of that has to do, once again, with our economy. If our economy stays 25 3% growth through this back half of the year, I think the dollar will stay strong. If we decelerate back down to around that 2% level, I think the dollar gives way. And that would put a tailwind, once again, behind foreign investments. So that's kind of where we're at. Uh, certainly, you really need to watch the economy right now uh, for those signs of slowing. And if we see those in the back half of the year, that's when you're going to likely get your pullback. The great thing about our anytime listener line is it never closes. So here's a question that came in earlier at 888 chart Oh, it's, it's too late. I guess I, I spent a little bit too much time on the main talking point. So we'll get to that, uh, that caller, that listener line call, right after this break. Now, tomorrow on Invest Talk, high earners, li earners living in high tax states can find a defensive posture. We'll talk about strategies to minimize the impact of taxes on wealthy. That story is tomorrow. But for now, I'm Justin Klein, and I'm here for you. Give me a call at 888-99-CHART. Our Invest Talk podcast continues. One of KPP Financial's solutions that help solve today's retirement puzzle is our balanced income portfolio. How do you get the income you need in retirement without the kind of risk that you don't feel comfortable with? That's what this program is all about, the Balanced Income Portfolio from KPP Financial. And remember, as with each KPP program, the principles at KPP are invested right along with you. Would you like to know more about it, the Balanced Income Portfolio? You can call 888-99-CHART and follow the prompts, or you can ask Steve about it directly. Just click on the Contact Steve button on investtalk.com. Now let's get back to the podcast. This is Invest Talk, and thanks to very strong interest in Steve Peasley's no-cost, one-on-one portfolio reviews conducted last month in San Jose, Steve has already scheduled a return date, October 3rd. Remember, meeting with Steve can be the quickest way to improve the performance of your portfolio. Space is limited, so register now at investtalk.com. Have you got a question for Justin? He's here now, and the lines are open. 888-99-CHART. Hi, Steve and Justin. Just wanted to say I really like the show. I had a question. I've got about 20% of my portfolio in various bond funds. I particularly use municipal bond ETFs because I'm a high earner and I'm trying to uh, reduce my tax burden and maximize the returns. I know that interest rates are rising and bonds don't look very good, but my question is um, specifically about municipal bond ETFs that are short-term, uh, something like HYD or SHYD. And I'm wondering if you think that's a decent investment over the next five to 10 years. My goal is at retirement to have about 20% or 25% uh, municipal bond funds to sort of provide for my retirement, and that is about 10 or 15 years off. So anyway, um, I, I really appreciate any input you give me, and thank you for all the advice. Great question. Uh, he's looking at, he is, he's a high earner, uh, so he's in a high tax bracket. And frankly, those are the only type of 
investors that need to be messing with municipal bonds. Why? Because their tax bracket's so high that they're going to bid up the value of those bonds uh, to a level from a tax-adjusted basis where it makes sense for them. Uh, which means that if you are in a lower tax bracket, you are paying up for these municipal bonds in their tax-deferred nature or tax-free nature, uh, and your tax-adjusted basis or, earn, or, or yield is likely to be not quite as good as somebody like, like this caller who is in a high tax bracket. So just kind of understand that when you're looking at municipal bonds, tax-free is great, but you really are only going to get the bit best return or the best benefit if you're in a very high tax bracket. Now, he's looking at short-term municipal bond ETFs, and there's nothing wrong with that, uh, but a lot has to do with whether or not they are safe bonds, right? Uh, for example, he was looking at HY, HYD, I believe, is what he was talking about, and this is a name that yields about 4.3% tax-free, I would, I, would, I would imagine, and so Effectively, if you're in like a say a 35% tax bracket, that can mean effectively this is closer to a six six and a half percent yield, which is pretty nice. Uh, and its municipalities are how risky are they? That's a big question. Their average credit score is double B, which is slightly into the junk category. So you're certainly taking uh, a decent amount of risk there. Uh, short-term duration, let's look at its effective duration, is seven and a half years. I wouldn't quite call that short-term. Uh, that's on the shorter end of the intermediate spectrum, I would say. So there's certainly still some interest rate risk here, where, say, interest rates rise 1%, this should drop roughly about 7.5% in that case. So uh, if you're looking to avoid interest rate risk, you want to be, I think, an effective duration somewhere in the two to three, maybe four four max, uh, that's where you can really, I think, avoid any major losses uh, when it comes to interest rate risk. Uh, anything beyond that, you're still you're taking at least a, a decent amount of interest rate risk there. So I, I like what you're doing. You're in a high tax bracket. You're uh, looking for yield, and uh, it's going to be very diversified. Certainly, you're taking some risk there from a, a credit standpoint, from a, a duration standpoint, uh, but it's not a bad place to be. Just uh, you know, make sure it's not a giant part of your portfolio. Thanks for the call. I like those ones that are kind of talking about broad categories, uh, something a little bit different than an individual stock. So thanks for the call. Now let's talk a little bit about safeguarding your wealth over time. And I think this is very important. And why is because over time, our ability to make good financial decisions decline. Uh, even in our 50s, it, studies show that people make worse decisions about their credit starting in their mid-50s. And when it comes to investment decision-making, that skill significantly falls after the age of 70. And more than half of the US population over the age of 85 suffers from some level of cognitive impairment. So that means that you don't want to be making those decisions to safeguard your financial assets when you're over 70. You need to do that early, probably, probably around the time you're 50 is probably a good time that you need to uh, st really start thinking about that. And the reason is because confidence in financial, financial decision-making ability increases with age. So even though 
our confidence tends to grow as we get older. At a certain point, which basically is kind of in your mid-50s, and especially after 70, you start to, your, your actual ability separates from your perception of your ability to make good decisions. Almost one in five Americans older than 65 have been taken advantage of through either inappropriate investments, unreasonable high fees for financial advice or services, or just outright fraud. And this is according to the Investor Protection Trust, a nonprofit consumer ad advocacy group. So it just goes to show that you need to be start, start thinking about this early. So make plans for yourself in your 50s uh, and definitely before you actually retire. Procrastination is your worst enemy, especially in this case. Why? Because, you, like I said, you don't want to wait until that onset and progression of the cognitive, cognitive decline actually happens. And you don't know when that is actually going to hit. So start to do a financial checkup early. Review your, review your estate's related documents. Create an estate. Create a plan. And put a clear succession plan. Have a trusted family member or even friend to manage your affairs in the event you're unable to do so. Maybe you don't have anybody in your family that you really feel confident in. right? Maybe you don't have kids or your kids aren't good with what they're, they're handling with their money. right? So maybe it's a trusted friend. Or you can even hire a fiduciary. There are fiduciaries that uh, will, for a fee, obviously, we're not we're a we're a fiduciary, but we don't do those type of services. But there are companies that do that, and uh, fiduciaries that do that, and they execute a document like a trust uh, and make sure that it's done correctly. So that's possible as well. And even if it is your family. A lot of people just default to the oldest child or oldest sibling. I find often it's not the oldest that is the best for the job. So don't feel obligated either to put the trust into just the oldest person. Make sure you think about their credentials, their personality, their uh, ability to handle and execute your wishes. I think that's very important as well. Then also try to simplify what you're doing. Consolidate accounts. Once again, work with a fiduciary advisor, whether that's somebody who's executing a trust or their your financial advisor like us at KP Financial. So make sure you're working with a fiduciary advisor. Then monitor it. Make sure that the trust today, even if say you made one five years ago or ten years ago, the wording in that still applies. Maybe an account closed or you open a different account and that needs to be included in the trust. Maybe you have a new asset or a new person that joined the family that is a beneficiary. Make sure all those things are up to date and then monitor your identity, monitor your credit, making sure that no one else gets a hold of the information that could, uh, they could use in a time when your cognitive impairment might be escalating. Right? So, be aware of that and plan earlier, early and try to protect your information and monitor it as you go along because once you hit that uh, time when your cognitive impairment really hits, you want to make sure everything is in order.
I'm Justin Klein. You're listening to Invest Talk. There are some simple rules for success, and that's every regular Invest Talk listener has heard Steve and I talk about many times. And rule number one is always diversify. You want to limit your investments to, in any one stock to from about three to no more than about five percent of your overall portfolio. Another rule: don't make emotional investment decisions. Greed and fear will harm you. A third rule: do not try to time the market. It's difficult. That's a bit of common sense investment guidance to help you make a, make you a better investor. Then the more you listen, the more you will learn. The phone lines are open, and the program is always made better by your questions. So please call me now at eight 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 ninety nine chart. This is Invest Talk, made possible by KPP Financial, where each Friday subscribers to the KPP Premium Newsletter receive a concise and highly informative summary of the week's financial and investment news. It's sent directly to their inbox. It really does give you a week that was roundup in a quick read. It also offers a look ahead and various process and term explanations that will be interesting to every investor. So you should be thinking about subscribing. The cost now through September is only nine dollars per month, and if you act now, you'll stay ahead of the coming October price increase. Remember, you'll get targeted value formatted for fast consumption when you become a KPP Premium newsletter subscriber at InvestTalk.com. The InvestTalk radio and podcast continues now. The phone lines are open. Justin's here, and he's ready for your questions. Eight 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 ninety nine chart. Hi, I had a question about MYL Myelin Pharmaceutical, and I'm doing a comparison between that and Teva Pharmaceutical, and I noticed that Myelin missed their earnings, and their stock price actually didn't drop; it remained the same. Teva met their earnings, and their stock dropped. And also, Teva got the approval, FDA approval for EpiPen, which Mylan makes. And although Teva's stock went up a little bit, Mylan's stock didn't move again. So I'm thinking, which one is a better company to hold? It seems that Mylan doesn't go down even with bad news, but any good news, I think it's you know prone to go up. And compared that, you know, Teva is pretty vulnerable on the downside. I'd like your opinion on this, if you can elaborate on that. Thank you. All right. He's looking at Myelin and Teva Pharmaceuticals. They're both in the generic drug space. So they've both been hit pretty hard uh, over the recent past. There's been some issues in the industry from uh, pricing and uh, some guess, collusion, I guess you would call it, uh, to keep generic drug prices elevated and that's kind of hurt the industry as a whole. Now first I want to help you understand how to interpret earnings announcements and is right there are companies that report good earnings and the price goes down and others that report bad earnings price goes up uh, but ultimately it's about the future so typically don't look at whether they beat earnings today uh, obviously if they kill it on the upside that's certainly going to be great or they really tank on the downside uh, from what the market expected, that's certainly going to be reflected poorly on the stock. But what's really most important is where was the street or where were analyst estimates for the future coming year, you know, quarter, two quarters, four quarters, and 
did the company change their expectations for those earnings in relation to those expectations? Okay, so the market focuses on the windshield, right? What's going? What's what's it look like out of the windshield? When you're looking at earnings reports from a company, what you're looking at are what's in the rearview mirror. And the market cares a ton more about what's go what's through that windshield versus what's in the rearview mirror. So understand that first. Now, Teva is going through kind of a restructuring. Uh, they had a stream of acquisitions that piled on a lot of debt for the company, and they are are struggling to handle that debt, pay down that debt. Uh, it, it, they have a lot of good drugs, uh, both branded and generic that uh, they need to either sell off or reconstruct uh, their business to handle the level of debt. So Teva is definitely going to be the higher risk play here. You know, earnings are expected to be 284 in 2019. That's down from $5.42 just in 2015. So certainly earnings are expected to be on the decline or, or remain on the decline for the next couple of years. Yields about 4.5%, so you're nice, getting a nice dividend, but will that dividend be cut because they need to handle their debt? Uh, I think they have strong leadership to get them out of their funk, but I think it's also going to take a few more years to really uh, reorganize the business into something that can sustain its debt and grow its earnings over time. Whereas Mylan, in 2015, they made $4.30 a share. And next year, they're supposed to make $5.30 a share. So their business is certainly much stronger. They have a lower debt-to-equity ratio, but they also don't pay a dividend. Uh, revenues are down 5%, whereas Teva's revenues were down over 10% last quarter. So you're looking at two companies that are in uh, similar industries. However, they're in different situations with their business. Teva's higher risk, but you also get a nice dividend. And Mylan, I think, is lower risk because their business is much stronger, uh, but you're also not getting a dividend either. Uh, so if I'm picking one, I'm going to probably pick Mylan because of that safety and more certainty there. Whereas Teva, certainly I like the company, I like the leadership, like I said, but definitely higher risk. So it depends on what you're looking for. Thanks for the call. I love kind of the giving the pros and cons of, of each company. And there's always, even the same industry, there's always the positives and negatives that you need to understand, pick out, and pick the one that's best for you. So thanks for calling. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. I want to hear from you. We're going to the last segment of the show, so give me a call. This is InvestTalk, made possible by KPP Financial. InvestTalk is streamed live and broadcast live each weekday in the 4 o'clock hour Pacific time, 6 Central and 7 Eastern. It's also available 24-7 via archived podcast at investtalk.com. Would you like to speak with Steve right now? He's here and the lines are open. 888-99-CHART. I'm at a question. I currently have a new job and they do not offer a 401k. And I haven't started my retirement yet. I'm 35. Now I'm debating on whether I should go Roth IRA 
are the traditional IRA. I totally understand the traditional IRA, but as for the Roth IRA, I'm not sure does one outweigh the other or would it matter? Um, I appreciate it. Thank you. Great question. Now, the main deciding factor that anybody needs to think about when they are deciding whether they're going to contribute to a Roth IRA, or even now they have a lot of Roth 401ks, which might be available at your work as well, versus a traditional IRA or traditional 401k, which is uh, you know, your contributions are taken off your income. What you have to consider is your tax rate. Uh, and if you put money in onto a Roth right now, is your tax rate low, lower than it's going to be in retirement, or is it higher? Right? Because in a regular IRA or 401k, you would make that contribution, it's be tax deferred, and you would pay money on the money you take out, or pay taxes on the money you take out, upon retirement. So a lot of this has to do with where your tax rate is today. Okay, So if you're in a relatively low tax bracket, and obviously we just had a tax cut for consumers, so in general, your tax bracket is going to be lower than it was yesterday, or sorry, last year. So if you're in a low tax bracket, you want to tend to do a Roth IRA. And I would always, if, if you're on the fence, I would always go with the Roth. Uh, why? Because if you need money, you need access to it, you can take out your contributions to that Roth penalty-free contributions in the future. So it's kind of like uh, a safety net as well. Whereas a regular IRA, a regular 401k, you are penalized if you take that out before you're 59 and a half. So that's something to consider as well. Uh, but ultimately, it really has to do with your tax rate today versus the future. Thanks for the call. 888 chart 888 as I get through and ask your question on today's show. Let's quickly talk about the Apple event coming up on Wednesday. We're going to get some new iPhones, iPhone XS, uh, as well as an upgrade to the watch, uh, probably an air-powered charging mat, a new desktop software, Mac OS software, and you might even get some new iPads, hopefully. That's what I'm hoping for. I, am, I, I have the original iPad Air, so I need a new one because uh, mine's kind of slowing down. Uh, maybe I'll get the new iPhone. I know my girlfriend is, but I know that uh, that's, that's what we're going to get on Wednesday. It's always priced into the stock. Apple stock has dropped recently because of threats from tariffs and that possibly impacting sales or the cost of them getting their the iPhones here in the the US because right they're right they're made in China even though their their components tend to be made all over the world uh, so but they're put together in China shipped from China and the trade war could affect their business uh, but you know what do I think of Apple as a whole you know I'm, I'm not going to give any recommendations, uh, but I will say that I, I think this is just a, another event. Uh, I, I don't think this is a breakthrough product, uh, just from hearing the rumors, but it's something that in today's market is very important. Why? Because Apple is the most valuable company in the world. 
It is a global behemoth and growth driver for economies, both here in America and abroad, like in China and elsewhere. There's a lot of companies that rely on the supply chain that creates iPhones and Apple products in general. So it's uh, certainly an important announcement, not just for Apple, but I think for the economy as a whole, because think about it, it's a trillion dollar company, does billions of dollars in sales per quarter. If those sales decline, or the market just doesn't love what they're putting out there, that can actually have an effect on the overall economy. Well, looks like we are closing up for the day. That's it for this edition of Invest Talk. Glad you could join us on this Monday edition of Invest Talk. I look forward to talking with you tomorrow. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.